When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. Established 2019. Direct from the North Wales coast. His verbal skills definitely outweigh his wrestling ability. It's time for British Wrestling's Sharpshooter, your host, Stu Palmer! A warm welcome to episode 33 of Stu's Wrestling Podcast. And my guest this week is none other than Rick Allen, a.k.a. Sunny Beach, and he was also known as Sandy Beach. Rick was an enhancement talent in the WWF and he got to wrestle some of the best. And you'll see there's a lot of photos on this episode. Some of the guys, he knew all the top guys. He was very friendly with the top guys in WWF. We also talk about Herb Abrams, Dark Side of the Ring. Obviously, he was um, in UWF with Herb Abrams and he knew Herb very well too. And there's a lot of stories, a lot of background. And uh, it was really good. Rick was also in Japan. You're going to get to hear about that in All Japan Pro Wrestling. He's now got a security firm. He's had a security firm for a long, long time. He talks about that. Obviously, the uh, pressures at the moment with COVID and uh, they've lost a lot of business and stuff, but they're still going. He's still he's still doing stuff with the security firm. And I think he's been doing seminars and stuff of that nature. So, yeah, an absolute gem of a guy. We like Rick a lot. And, uh, yeah, big thank you to Richie Sorrentino for putting this through for me as well. He set it all up. It was really, really nice for him. So, yeah, good times guaranteed as well. Got to plug that for Richie. Well, it is my pleasure to have on this afternoon here in the UK, none other than Rick Allen, also known as Sunny Beach. How's it going, Rick? Good, Stewie. How are you? How's uh, the weather in England today? It's a bit, it's a bit breezy, if I'm honest. We've had, we've had a lot of, uh, a lot of sun the last few weeks, but it's gone a bit, uh, gone a bit awry the weather the last couple of days. How's it over there, Rick? Well, it's raining out here in Long Island, and it's about fifty degrees, so it's not too bad, but. Uh... You know, I'm waiting for the summer to hit so we can get some sunshine and hopefully after this coronavirus is over, get back out and uh, go to the beaches and, you know, hang ten. How, how are you finding it at the moment, Rick, with everything that's going on? Everything is good. Um, you know, I own a security company out here in Long Island and New York and uh, New Jersey and uh, business is down pretty bad because of this virus. Uh, they're not, you know, all the nightclubs, restaurants, lounges, bars, special events, catering facilities. I do, that's almost like 90% of my business and uh, we haven't been able to work. So a lot of my guys, you know, are out of work, but we've been pretty creative. We're starting to do some grocery stores and supermarkets, uh, doctor's offices, medical supply, houses and stuff like that. So we're getting a little bit of work, but you know, the business is down probably about 90% right now. Wow. 
Oh, that's, that's huge, man. Yeah, it's huge. But, you know, the good thing is, you know, we still got our health and, you know, we're still alive. So that's, you know, the main thing. You know, you can always make money, but you can't ever buy your health back. That's it. That's it. Rick, obviously you're in Long Island now, but you grew, you grew up in Florida. How was your childhood in Jacksonville, Florida? Well, Jacksonville was a great place to grow up. Uh, you know, I live real close to the beaches, so I started hunting and fishing when I was young and, uh, you know, got into sports, Little League Baseball. Uh, I played football, wrestled, and threw shot putting discus in high school. I was all city wrestling in high school. and um, I had football scholarships to go to Florida State, Georgia Southern, um, Tennessee, a lot of different schools. You know, I was recruited by over 20 colleges to play football, but my first love was wrestling, and um, I guess I was eight up with it. I got the wrestling bug at a young age, watching Dusty Rhodes and Championship Wrestling from Florida and the Briscoe Brothers and Mike Graham, Steve Kern, the Assassin, you know, all those guys down there. It was a great place to grow up, and um, I got to – live out my childhood dream that's cool that's quite the resume of sports there rick yeah i got to do a lot uh, at a young age you know my parents really pushed me into you know going into sports and uh in junior high school i was just an average size kid but once i got to high school i started growing started hitting the weights did some weight training and uh i was benching over 350 pounds in high school so it was a pretty good thing i was always in pretty good shape and running a lot and uh just always out there, always in the athletics my whole life. So it was a, a great place, Jacksonville, to grow up. Terry Parker High School, I'll give him a big shout-out. Um, I'm still very active down in Jacksonville, even living in Long Island. I, we started about eight years ago, uh, Terry Parker Alumni Association, where all the old uh, alumni from Terry Parker could get involved and donate back to the school and give back to the community. And we raised so far over $600,000 from my old high school for their athletic program. I bet they're, I bet they're overjoyed with that, that money as well, obviously, for the kids now to do what they need to do. Oh, yeah. Down in Jacksonville, it's, you know, they, they really don't fund a lot of the high school athletic programs like they used to when I was growing up. A lot of budget cuts and, you know, they're always looking to save money here and there. And it's really sad because the athletics uh, suffers for it down there. So we bought them all new, like, team uniforms for the football team. We bought them football helmets, shoulder pads, whatever they needed. Bought a new ice machine for their athletic house. Uh, bought the basketball team, cheerleaders. We send them on trips. We buy them Letterman jerseys. We pay for their team meals so it's a it's a good feel good story you know giving back you know you know 30 40 years later after you graduated from high school is you know a great thing and you know if more people would get involved and pay it forward and give back we'd have a better place to live how was studying at the university of north florida it was good. I was I was going to be a policeman down there, believe it or not. While I was getting into pro wrestling, you know, I, I, I sort of got a little bit dejected a couple of times because, you know, I thought I should be moving up the ladder a little bit quicker, but I had to pay my dues like everybody else. And I was helping set up the rings when I was first starting out. I would referee matches. I would do whatever I could just to get involved with the wrestling and show them I really wanted this, you know. And they test you a lot of the old timers and stuff, you know, hey, you know, set, that, set up a ring, break down the ring uh make sure we have beer in the cooler for after the matches you know whatever it was drive the guys around from town to town so i i paid my dues and then you know sometimes you know i'd make fifty dollars a hundred dollars a match whatever it was and just barely breaking even after you put gas in your car pay for something to eat and then if you were lucky enough to get a hotel room a lot of times i slept in my car believe it or not just to save money i'd make sandwiches i'd go to the grocery store and buy you know uh uh 
quarter pound of cheese or a pound of ham or whatever it might have been, made sandwiches, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, tuna fish sandwiches, and then I'd go from a different town and try to go to gyms. Sometimes you have to pay 15, 20 bucks a day to work out in a gym that wasn't your gym, like in your hometown gym that you have membership to. But, um, you know, I wanted it bad enough and I went for it and I finally got, you know, uh, made a name for myself a little bit. I started out in 1985, the championship wrestling from Florida. I was doing TV down there, uh, you know, enhancement talent, putting guys over, making them look good and learning my craft. Then I started working out in uh, Peach State Wrestling in Georgia. I would work Florida, Georgia, go back and forth and just whoever would sign me up for matches, I would go anywhere, you know, just to learn and try to get my, my foot in the door with a promotion and try to get a little push. And uh, Peach State Wrestling uh, gave us our first, me, my first push. I was a Georgia heavyweight champion down there for Peach State. And then me and Ray Lloyd, who was Glacier, were tag team champions down there. And um, we had a really good uh, time. It was a good learning experience. There was, you know, a lot of journeyman wrestlers that were working uh, down at Peach State. Mr. Wrestling number two, Johnny Walker, was there. Ted Oates, Jerry Oates. Uh, Tony Atlas would come in and out, Adrian Street, um, Steve the Brawler Lawler. There were so many different guys, Ray Lloyd, R.D. Swain, um, the assassin would come in, Abdul the Butcher. So we had a, a, a huge array of talent to learn from. And then I started wrestling after that at Southern Championship for Jerry Blackwell. Jerry Blackwell, Buck Robley, Dick Slater, Wrestling 2, Tommy Rich, Bruiser Brody was there at the time, Abdul the Butcher, Ted Oates. Um, who else was there? Jeff Jarrett would come in and out. Uh, Kurt Henning came in and out a couple of times. Jerry Lawler. So, uh, you know, you got to learn from some of the best in the business down south, you know, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, that little circuit in there. We would, you know, do a little run and uh, different nights, different towns. And sometimes I would be double booked. I'd have an afternoon show and an evening show, you know, a couple hundred miles apart. You know, you get to leave one locker room and, you know, jump in your car and drive two hours to another show. So that's how bad I really wanted it. And I got discovered that way you know with the wwf uh, they hired me to do no holds barred back in june of 1988 it was filmed down in atlanta georgia i had a big part in the movie a fight scene with the uh, lumberjack joe LaDuc. we were in a no count bar the first fight scene in that little octagon bar and uh it was a great time i got to make some great friends down there stan hansen um very good friend of mine to this day him and his wife yumi come to my house and stay you know uh whenever they're in new york they're always welcome at my home uh, made lifelong friendships ray lloyd uh who i got who i helped break in the business uh he became glacier with wcw he's been doing a few movie roles and stuff like that lately and trying to produce movies and he's training uh, wrestlers in atlanta georgia for aew right now so uh you know i made some great lifelong friendships out of this business how how was the experience on set with uh, being in No Holds Barred? Obviously, Hogan starred in it, and obviously, Tiny Lister as well was in there, wasn't he? As uh, Zeus. How, how, yeah. Obviously, you've touched were, you've touched upon it, Rick. Uh, how, yeah, how they, they were great. I mean, it was great. You know, Vince McMahon was down there on set a lot because. WWF paid, you know, bankrolled the movie. It was a, you know, Titan Sports, you know, was behind it. And uh, it was like a really, really 
we were only down there a week filming. We had to come in and they fitted us, you know, went to wardrobe and then they cut your hair and do the makeup and all that stuff. And then they have the food trucks on site where you can eat on, you know, breakfast, lunch. And, you know, they usually, it was some long days. We would, you know, be there 12, 14 hour days filming and stuff. And then we would go to dinner afterwards, all the boys, or we'd go to the gym afterwards. There was a Gold's gym there. Uh, a good friend of ours, Chip Smith, owned it back at the time. A good friend of Ray Lloyd's. And Ray Lloyd introduced me to Chip, and we became good friends. And Chip's got a, a – he trains all the NFL pro football players, pro baseball players down in Atlanta, Georgia. He's got a really great facility down there, and that's where AEW does their, their uh, wrestling training now for all their up-and-coming stars. But um, on the set with Tiny Lister and, and, and Stan Hansen, we were all in the you know same – set and we were all filming uh, in the bar at the same time so it was just a, a great time pete doherty was there the duke of dorchester uh uh who else was there there was just so many different guys uh bill Eady was in the movie demolition um ray was an extra in the movie we got him a, a part in the movie of being an extra in the no count bar uh joe the duke was great to work with uh, professional we would go out afterwards we went to the buckhead diner for dinner tiny lister he'd come to the gym with us zeus hogan was on set uh, go down to the gym work out with him you know sometimes when he was available so you know he, he had a tough because he was still doing a lot of tv and he was still champion at the time when they were filming no holds barred so he would go to tvs and then come back down to the movie set and they were running them ragged but you know, when you're a superstar making all that big money, you got to do what you got to do, I guess. But it was a great learning experience for me. I made a lot of great friends with uh, No Holds Barred. And uh, Stan Hansen, you know, by meeting him at No Holds Barred, he got me booked into Japan, all Japan pro wrestling in, in 91, 92. Uh, made some good friends over in Japan, too, that I still keep in touch with on the Internet. So, um you know, I had nothing but good things to say about No Holds Barred. They treated us great, um, very professional, first-class accommodations. Um, you know, I would do it again tomorrow. I still get residual checks once in a while. I'll get a little check here and there in the mail, you know, from, I guess, video sales or distribution and all that stuff. But if I would have had a speaking role, I'd probably get a little bit more money. But I was just in there fighting and, uh, you know, doing my scene. Yeah, man. That, that's nice that you're still getting royalties off it. Yeah, you know, enough to buy a Happy Meal at McDonald's once in a while, but that's about it. Uh, <laughs> I think my last royalty check was like for $20, I think. So, uh, you know, they're getting smaller and smaller. I remember like the first one I got, it was, you know, about $10,000 right when the movie came out and everything. And then after that, they got smaller and smaller, you know, 2000 here or, you know, and it, you wouldn't get it, you know, all of a sudden something would pop up in the mail, you know, a couple of years later you know and it's no holds barred was filmed in 88 and i think it got released in uh 89 if i'm not mistaken and uh, you know it's been on showtime hbo cinemax you know all the major you know syndicated shows throughout the television spectrum so um you know and then it was dvd distribution and vhs back you know when it first came out so um it, it was fun and i'm very proud of my role in the movie and very proud of you know my wrestling career i mean i wasn't a world champion in many places i wasn't a top guy but i wrestled all the top guys in the world i mean who could say they wrestled andre the giant bruiser brody uh, stan hansen abdul the butcher you know I, i've wrestled ray candy some of the biggest and baddest heels in the business the assassin you know the list goes on and on and i mean i've been in there with some of the greats and uh, I, I loved what i did 
Cactus Jack, Mick Foley. I've had, you know, over 50 matches with him up and down the East Coast. Most of them were blood bass uh, with the UWF, Herb Abrams promotion. Uh, we just did Dark Side of the Ring. It just aired this past week, uh, advice. And uh, that was a pleasure to do. Uh, Try to set the record straight a little bit. You know, there was two sides to Herb. He was like a Jekyll and a Hyde. But, uh, you know, the side that I saw and the side that, you know, I knew him, he was a friend to me and my family. I had him at my house, you know, uh, probably over 100 times. You know, he lived in New York uh, right before he passed away. And uh, his mom lived here. His family was from here. So, you know, he had a lot of roots. And I tried to help him, uh, you know, whenever I could when he was in New York. I was working in his office in New York City at the time he passed away. And, uh, I was probably probably one of the last people to see him alive. He was over at my house that weekend before he passed. And, uh, you know, we had a cookout. He's just a good guy to me and my family. I mean, I always treat everybody the way I want to be treated. And uh, he treated me well. Did I get a couple of bounce checks along the way? Yeah, but he always made good for him. And he always, you know, he was very generous. He was very funny. Uh, they didn't really touch on a lot of last stuff. A couple of people maybe did in the, in the segment with uh, Dark Side. But, you know, they were just, you know, they were more worried about what he did, you know, off camera, his uh, cocaine addiction and his uh, addiction for, you know, escorts. Rick, do you think the episode could have been longer than 45 minutes? Oh, yes, yes. I mean, they they didn't contact a lot of people. Uh, Steve Simon, Herb's first cousin, should have been on there. And they interviewed him. And I'm sure that he he probably had a great interview and everything. But there there wasn't enough time to, to really include everybody. George Napolitano. He, he's a you know wrestling magazine uh, person. You know he had wrestling all star magazine. He had a lot of. He's been in the business for forever. George Napolitano and he he had a lot of dealings with her. Blackjack Brown, another guy that does you know radio shows. And he's been heavily involved in the wrestling. He could have been interviewed. So should you know several other people. Paul Orndorff probably had a lot to say about Herb. He was around Herb a lot. Uh, you know a lot of guys aren't here anymore. Like Bruno, Captain Lou. Uh, Steve Dr. Death Williams, Terry Gordy, uh, Ivan Koloff, they all, you know, work with Herb. And, you know, everybody has their own Herb story, you know, how, how they were contacted to work with Herb yeah. or interact with Herb while they were working with him, what Herb did. You know, a lot of guys partied with Herb, too. I'm not going to mention any names, but all these guys, you know, that some of the guys that were on that, that, that show were, were partying with Herb, you know, every inch of the way, you know, and then they, you know, you don't throw stones when you live in a glass house and, you know, you don't want to be, uh, you know, kind of like uh, talking about the dead, you know, when they can't defend themselves either. Just to go back to WWF, Rick. Yes. Uh, which matches in WWF do you have fond memories of? Oh, I had great matches. Back when I was starting in WWF in uh, the summer of 88, uh, right after I finished No Holds Barred, I was home for about three days, and I got my booking sheet, and I was on the road with WWF for the next couple of years. And, uh, you know, I I guess, you know, like Barry Horowitz and Mike Sharp and myself and, you know, maybe like uh, Steve Lombardi and maybe the – Young Stallions at the time, you know, DJ Peterson was there. We all were like enhancement talent. You know, we put the top guys over of Hogan or, or Macho Man or Andre the Giant or Demolition. Or they were doing a big angle or a big push, Jake Roberts. You know, they'd put us in with them and make them look good. And that was a big guy. And they put me in with all the big boys, Hillbilly Jim, you know, get him over. Um, uh, Ronnie Garvin, when he was there, I had matches with Ronnie a lot. Uh, Scott Casey, I had some great matches with Scott. Uh, Hercules, uh, 
when they turned to babyface, uh, Lanny Poffo, I wrestled him a lot in the WWF. Uh, Conquistadors, they were great guys. Uh, funny story, one time uh, Jose Luis Rivera got hurt and he couldn't go out and work, so I had to be a Conquistador for the night. And we wrestled the Rockers. And uh, we had a great match. And, uh, you know, Jose, he didn't tell Chief J. Strongbill was one of the agents and Tony Garea was one of the agents at the time. And we're at, uh, I think we were somewhere in Maryland. I don't know, Landover, Maryland, or big arena down there. Uh, everybody's, you know, when, you, when you're wrestling, everybody watches each other's matches. You know, they're backstage, they're behind the curtain, or they're, if they're in the auditorium, you know, they'll, they'll peep out and they'll watch, you know, before their matches. And Chief Strongbow and them, they were watching the match, you know, and I was in there in the Conquistador gimmick, and uh, we didn't tell Chief what we were doing. I was just, you know, I didn't, I didn't want, you know, Jose to get in trouble or nothing, but uh, Jose was watching the match. And it was a conquistador match, and he was supposed to be out there. And Strombo looks at him and looks out there in the ring, and then he looks back at him and goes, what are you doing back here? Who's in the ring? He goes, Sunny Beach. <laughs> conquistador ain't number three. <laughs> so uh, he started busting out laughing, and Chief goes, what happened? He goes, uh, I hurt my ankle. He goes, I can't even walk on my ankle. I'm lipping around. He goes, I'd be no good out there. He goes, so Sunny Beach offered to fill in for me. So he goes, okay, no problem. So when he came out there, Chief started busting my ass. You know, uh, he goes, what are you doing out there? Why don't you tell me? Blah, blah, blah. I said, Chief, the guy was hurt. I said, I don't think there'd be no harm in it. I wrestled, you know, Brockers a bunch. We had a really good match. And he said, I think uh, we're going to fire Jose and make you a conquistador. <laughs> 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 so so uh, that was one of the good stories, you know, and hanging out with the boys, that was always fun, you know, after the matches, you know, we'd always go to different bars or, you know, go back to restaurants and, you know, hang out and talk, and, you know, just traveling up and down the roads together, you know, uh, sometimes you were with your wrestling family more than you were with your own family, you know, and uh, you got to be, you know, really close with a lot of people on the road. Barry Horowitz is a good personal friend. I know he was on your show recently. Uh, I still see Barry every time he comes to New York. We always get together. We've been doing a lot of uh, signings together. We did this uh, event called the Big Event here in New York City uh, about four months ago. Myself and Tony Atlas were featured on the Monty and the Pharaoh show uh, where they sponsored us to go over to sign some autographs over at this big event. And then we were hanging out with Barry and a bunch of other guys. The Patriot Del Wilkes was there, Manny Fernandez, uh, Kurt Angle. Undertaker was actually there and Braun Strowman from the WWE signing autographs. So uh, it, it's good to see the boys again, you know. I mean, I've been out of the wrestling business for over 20 years now. and uh, I did very rarely in the last 20 years I was concentrating on getting my business going, my security guard company. And I did maybe two or three, you know, meet and greets and conventions, you know, within that 20 years. But now since uh, – you know, the internet's huge. The wrestling business is, you know, blooming with AEW and WWF and NWA and all these other promotions that are on TV. People want to see some of the old timers like myself and the Barry Horowitzes and, you know, Paul Orndorff's and who's ever, you know, making the rounds doing these uh, autograph signings. The Nasty Boys are at a lot of them Greg Valentine, Bruce Beefcake, uh, Honky Tonk Man, uh, Demolition goes to a lot of these events. Ron Simmons, I see him a lot. Tony Atlas, uh, Butch Reed, I saw him recently. He, he doesn't do too many of them, but uh, it's good to see some of the guys that, you know, you grew up with and you wrestled with, you know, when you were starting out in the business. That's cool, man. What, what a list of guys there as well. I've, uh, 
I've been over to the States a few times, well, say a few times, seven times for WrestleMania, done, uh, done Wrestle, wow. WrestleCon, which is obviously similar to the big event. Uh, it's, it's, it's yeah. all, I love it. I love going to the conventions. Well, WrestleCon, they're doing another one in New Jersey. Tommy Fierro has, has been doing a lot of these. And uh, he actually hired me for his wrestling promotion, Retro Championship Wrestling, to become a manager now. Um, so I'm going to manage some of the talent down there. He wants me to get some of the younger guys over and stuff. So I want to try to get back to you know some of the younger wrestling guys, like the older guys gave back to me when I was starting out. So... Uh, and it's close enough, New Jersey, New York, you know, I don't mind traveling, Connecticut, you know, close or if people pay me, I'll, I'll go anywhere, you know, as long as they pay for my transportation and hotel accommodations. Um, I don't mind doing stuff like that now, but you know, since dark side of the ring came, I've probably done about six podcasts, a couple of, you know, radio interviews. I did a couple of TV interviews and, uh, this week, next week, I'm going to be on the Monty and the Pharaoh show up here in Long Island. It's a weekly wrestling talk show. That's pretty big out here in Long Island. Um, so a lot of good things are happening. Uh, I think they want me to go back to wrestle, uh, WrestleCon again this year in Jersey after the virus is over. They already canceled one of them that was supposed to be in April. So, uh, they're just waiting for the all clear from the government here in the states and the townships to, uh, open up some of the, the towns and let the people come back out after this virus is over. Rick, just to fast forward a little bit. Now, I'm a big fan of the, of the Hart family. And uh, when I was doing my research on you, I, I saw that you spent some time at Stampede Wrestling for Stu Hart. How, how, I did. How was Stampede Wrestling? Because Bret Hart is still my favorite of all time from when I was a kid to now. And uh, yeah, love the Hart. So yeah, your time in Stampede Wrestling, how, how did it go? How was it? Well, Stampede, I wasn't there that long. I was only there about six weeks. Um... Right after I left WWF, Owen, Owen Hart, the one that really got me booked up there, uh, and the Bulldogs, you know, because I wrestled with them and, uh, uh, you know, WWF. So uh, when I got released from the WWF, and I think it was 91 or 92, I think I went up. I don't know when I went up there, but I went up there, you know, in the early 90s. And uh, Moondog was up there, Randy Colley. Uh, Bob Brown was doing the book and Bulldog Bob Brown was up there. Larry Cameron was there. Uh, Chris Benoit was there. I wrestled Benoit a few times up there uh, when I was in Calgary and I wrestled him. I think it was a North American heavyweight championship that he had up there for, for Stampede. So I wrestled him in his hometown in Edmonton and we've had a great match, me and Chris. And, uh, you know, uh, I wrestled him up there. I wrestled, uh, Muck and Singh, who was uh, Norman Lunatic, and then they brought him in to Vince. Uh, I forgot what he was called there. Bastion, Bastion Booger. Bastion Booger, yeah. yeah. So wrestled him up there. Uh, Goldie Rogers was there. The Power Twins, Larry and Dave Sontag were up there. That's where I first met them. And then when I moved up to New York, I, I got to become even better friends with them. We, and uh, the Hearts, uh, I guess it was... Which heart was it? Uh, they were called Bad Company up there. Brian Pillman and one of the Hart brothers, um, uh, Bruce Hart. They were Bad Company. They were just getting back together, and Bruce was still doing some of the, you know, booking up there. And you know, it was a whole family operation from the ring crew, and one of the brothers was a referee. I forgot which one. So they had a lot of stuff going on up there. The Hearts, and it was kind of bad timing because when I got up there, it was like uh, February. 
and there was it was just like 20 30 degrees below zero up in canada at the time and i was like freezing here's a florida boy coming up to you know i'm all tanned up ready to go to calgary and as soon as i got off the plane my tan just went away Boop, it was so cold you know and uh, there was no tanning beds up there there was nowhere to you know even do the beach gimmick you know i was like whiter than snow up there after the first two days i was there couldn't do nothing and i came very illy prepared for the weather up there i mean i brought a winter jacket but it was like you know maybe 40 50 degree 30 degree weather you know jacket it wasn't like it was almost like a windbreaker compared to what they're wearing up there like parkas you know all this gore-tex material that'll keep you really really warm and i didn't have any long johns or you know anything to to wear underneath so that's the first thing i did was i went to a department store and i bought some cold weather gear because it was freezing up there you know winter hat i had to buy gloves a scarf uh, it was just brutally cold and you just wanted to stay inside you didn't even want to leave to go to the gym they put me up at this hotel and uh i forgot the name of it but it's an infamous hotel where all the boys would stay up there in canada and they, they'd give you a rate and everything like maybe 500 bucks a week to stay at this hotel and the hotel was uh probably about four blocks away from the gym and one of the brother-in-laws of the hearts married one of the sisters he owned the gym up there and uh we would walk to the gym and sometimes you were in two three feet of snow walking up to the gym it was crazy and on the basement of this hotel we were staying at they had a strip club you know where they had uh, the exotic dancers and stuff so all the boys would stay there after the matches they go back to the hotel go down to the strip club drink you know hang out and then you know, spend all their money they made at the night, you know, drinking it uh, with the girls and stuff. So it was an experience, you know, the first week, you know, first week it was a learning experience. It was fun. Second week, the van broke down. Uh, I had to take a Greyhound bus back from Edmonton all the way back to Calgary. Uh, the buses or the vans kept breaking down. Uh, it, it was uh, just a, not a, a fun territory to work in in the middle of the winter i mean especially february and it was the most coldest part of the winter up there and as a florida guy i really didn't like the cold weather like that but uh had some good matches up there tv was good ed wayland was there uh Stu was still around a lot got to see him a few times uh you know you're, uh, you're, you're a big bastard uh you gotta come and work for me up here at uh, stampede right with your with uh, bits yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that's how he used to talk, you know, and uh, yeah. you'd always hurt, grab your arms and, then, you know, they invite you over. Oh, you get to come over to the house for dinner one night and I'll show you the dungeon. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I heard stories about that. I'm not going nowhere near a dungeon and I really don't want to come to your house, but thank you for the offer, you know, because once they get you there, you're going to get down in a dungeon and they're going to put a sugar hold on you and they're <laughs> going to test, uh, they're going to, you know, play games with you, you know. The biggest guys, you know, superstar Billy Graham was there and all these other guys, you know, breaking in and getting trained there, Don Morocco and the Moondogs. You know, they let him put him in a move, you know, okay, Stu, you can put me in a hold, you know. And, you know, these big guys, there was no way that, you know, Stu would ever get a hold on them, you know, if they didn't want them to get a hold. But if you're laying on your back and you let them put you in a submission hold and he starts cranking it down on you, then uh, <laughs> that's, uh, you know, that's a whole other story, you know, but, you know. That was that was his thing, you know, to make a guy submit. So, I'd like to like to touch upon. Obviously, we've spoke about Herb Abrams a little bit, but obviously, yeah. just going going to going to your time in the UWF with Herb. How how was Herb? You've said a little bit about him. Well, I met Herb at one of the conventions in New York. John Arizzi 
did one of their first major conventions, wrestling conventions in 1990 up here in uh, Elmhurst, Queens, over by LaGuardia at the Royce Hotel, I think it was. And uh, Herb came in there and he did a press conference and he was just launching the UWF at the time. He was looking for talent. We've been talking on the phone. A woman, Georgia Mctropolis, uh, gave her my number, and Bruno San Martino spoke very, very highly of me and, and told him to hire me for the UWF. So that's how I got into the UWF. Uh, I was a local guy from New York, so he didn't have to fly me into New York. He was going to be doing TV tapings at the Pennsylvania Hotel, and uh, you know, in multiple locations around New York and the East Coast that he had planned out at the time. So he hired me to you know, wrestle singles at the time, uh, back in 1990, I was still wrestling sometimes with Vince and, you know, I was working all different promotions. I was in the IWA with Rob Russell. I worked global championship wrestling where they started out down in Texas. We were in their tag championship tournament down there, me and Steve Ray, where we were working with UWF. Um, it was a great time back in the early 90s where you could go to different territories uh, and, and still work a little bit. Yeah, Vince bought up a lot of territories, but they still had, you know, little territories going. Uh, you know, he took all their major talent. And that's what Herb was trying to do. He was trying to, as soon as somebody hot from WWF TV, I mean, Herb had Andre the Giant come in. As soon as Andre hit Herb's TV, Vince said, oh, this isn't going to work. I'm bringing him back. I don't want Andre working for this guy. So he, he brought Andre back after Andre was off for a little bit. Um, same thing, Honky Tonk Man, Greg Valentine, uh, Rick Rude came in, Sid Vicious, uh, Terry Gordy. Uh, Steve Williams got a lot of these guys to come in and work. Danny Spivey was there, Killer Bees, uh, Warlord came in. Barbarian, uh, Samoans. I mean, Herb had some of the biggest and best talent. Don Morocco, Paul Orndorff, and then he brought in for like blackjack brawl, beach brawl. He brought in Jimmy Snuka, Mick Foley, Bob Orton Jr. I mean, he had some of the best talent at, at that point that that could could have competed with Vince, you know, at the time. And uh, he just didn't have the, the financial backing that he needed to, to get to the next level. And he was squandering some of the money on himself for, you know, his extracurricular activities that you saw on Dark Side of the Ring, you know, with everybody associates her. The only thing they associate the UWF with instead of, you know, the talent that he had and trying to, to, you know, live out his lifelong dream of creating a wrestling promotion, which he did. But then he, you know, it was like a Jekyll and Hyde effect. You know, yeah, he liked the cocaine. He liked the hookers and, you know, the partying and all that stuff. And he wasn't a very good businessman, but, you know, at, at, at promoting that stuff. And he would let the guys do whatever they wanted to do. There was no programs. There was no angles. There was no creative control, pretty much, of the show. Everybody just did whatever they wanted to do. Turnbuckle TV is the home of UK wrestling on demand, featuring over 40 UK wrestling promotions and other wrestling-related channels. Subscribe today from just $1.99 and start your free one-month trial now. GTG, often imitated but never duplicated. Kind of broad at the shoulder, narrow at the hip. No other promotion. Give us any lip. We the best of the best. The beast of the east. SOS. Simply out of sight. GTG. What he said, good times going to you. How did the sunny beach save the gimmick come to fruition, Rick?
Well, you, you touched on it a little bit. I, I was raised in Jacksonville, Florida, so there was a lot of surfing. I lived close to the beaches. I had a lot of friends that were surfers, uh, a lot of cool people that I grew up with down there. So I tried my hand at surfing. I did lifeguarding on some summers when I was off uh, different you know, pool associations or, you know, gated communities, they would have lifeguards. So I was a lifeguard for a little bit down there. I never really lifeguarded the beaches or nothing like that, but uh, always grew up around the water and always loved surfing, water skiing. Um, I did all that stuff, boogie boarding. So it was just a natural transition, you know, beach gimmick. I, you know, I, I had first, you know, the short blonde hair, then I grew it out. And then I had the mullet, you know, back in, I think, the late 80s, early 90s, everybody had mullets going around. So I was like Joe Dirt back then with the, the nice long mullet. And uh, I decided, you know, that, you know, I was always a big fan of Don Morocco's too. And he was from Hawaii and everything, lived in Hawaii. So and he did a little bit of surfing gimmick back when he was a championship wrestling from Florida. They, he did a promo where they shot some guy surfing a huge wave and then they put Morocco, you know, down, you know, he put his face on soup, I guess overdubbed it, made him look like a surfer. And I said, Hey, first I was called Sandy beach. So I said, okay, maybe I'll do the Sandy beach gimmick, you know? And then when I was with, with her and Vince, I had to change my name to sunny beach because the DJ down in Florida had the name Sandy beach already copyrighted and trademarked. So I didn't want to get in any trouble. And they sent me a letter to stop using the name. So, which I did, but then I got it trademarked myself to sunny beach and I own the patent and trademark for that. So, uh, I started doing the I went search around. I got a wetsuit, a body glove, wet couple of wetsuits, and I started doing the beach gimmick uh, at that time and re reinvented myself after I left Vince, you know, at Sandy Beach. What was it like having Captain Lou Albano W tag team with Stevie Ray, Wet and Wild? How was that? Oh, the captain was one of the most funniest persons I've ever met. I mean, always cracking jokes, always funny. But he was a big germaphobe guy. Every t he didn't like shaking people's hands. He would always wash his hands, you know, if he had to shake people's hands. Or, you know, whenever he went to a, a, a restaurant or something, first thing he'd do, wash his hands and wipe off his utensils. And he was, you know, he was just a funny guy, always cracking jokes. And you get him drunk, oh, my God, he was a – he liked to have his drink, you know, Captain Lou, and he had a good time with it. And uh, another guy that left our, our, our wrestling community way too young, you know, him, Bruno. I mean, they were just a, a wealth of knowledge. I would love talking to them, and I could talk to them for hours and hours, picking their brain about different things. Hey, Captain, what should I do with this? Or how do you think this match went? Or could you watch my match and, you know, critique it? Or same thing with Bruno. You know, he, he pulled me aside and gave me a lot of pointers. You know, Sonny Beach, you got to fire up on him. You got to, you know, uh, don't sell too much for him. You know, he's not that big of a guy, you know, make him look good, you know, give him a couple of spots, but you know, then take control and, you know, do what you got to do. So he taught me a lot from, from, you know, just hanging out with some of the older guys, Johnny Walker. When I was down at peach state wrestling, he taught me a lot. Ted Oates, uh, you know, these guys were journeymen in our business and, and, you know, and if you had somebody that liked you and pulled you to the side, when I was with Vince, Tonga Fafita, uh, Haku, uh, he pulled me to the side, said this, Dino Bravo. I rode with all these guys, Hercules Hernandez, Lanny Poffo. You know, that these guys have been in the business. They forgot more wrestling than I'd probably ever know. And uh, they would pull me to the side, hey, kid, do it this way. Or maybe don't sell as much for this guy. Or maybe, you know, pick your moment to, to shine, you know, and come back, fire up on a guy. Or, you know, uh, you know, if you don't want to do a job, you don't have to do it. You know, you shouldn't put that guy, you know, over or, 
they don't want, I don't want you to do that. Or, you know, you got to do what's best for your career sometimes. And, you know, they would, you know, give me, you know, pep talks, and, you know, just lend their years of, you know, wisdom to me, which I really appreciate. That was very nice of them to do that because obviously heard how cutthroat the business is. That's a nice, nice story that, that they were looking out for you. Like, like Barry Horowitz, a quick story about him. I wrestled him uh, down when he was Jack Hart down in uh, Championship Wrestling from Florida and we got to be friends down there. And, you know, a lot of guys are jockeying for position, but Barry, you know, he never had a big head. He, did, he was a journeyman. He always went out there and did whatever he was told. Like pretty much myself, I did the same thing too. Whatever they asked me to do, I'd usually do it unless I would get hurt or, you know, they were looking to do some type of craziness that I didn't feel comfortable with. But, you know, as a person, as an independent contractor, because like, like, you know, Vince says everybody's independent contractors nobody has contracts except a few handful of boys up there but um you know barry when i first started with wwf up here my first match was in perth amboy new jersey with the wwf we did like a 11 day run where we started out i flew in from jacksonville florida newark airport i didn't know where i was i've never been up you know new york the big city you know i was always down south wrestling and you know, you got to rent your car. You got to go this thing. Well, I didn't rent a car. They just told me to be at Perth Amboy. I took a taxi all the way from uh, the, the, the airport to, to the matches because, uh, you know, they said, get there and we'll, we'll get you a ride with somebody or we'll do this, we'll do that. And, you know, I felt uncomfortable asking anybody to ride, but Barry had his own car. And, uh, you know, we hooked up in that match. And I think that match I, I wrestled uh, the first night, Lanny Poffo. So I'm there. I got the butterflies. We're probably in front of about 2,000 people at the Perth Amboy High School there. And I got in the back. I said, Barry, you ride with anybody? Or you? And he goes, no, I don't have anybody. I was going to ride with Steve Lombardi, but they put him on another tour to another place. He goes, I don't have nobody. I go, do you mind if I ride with you? He goes, no, come with me. He goes, well, we'll ride together. We'll, you know split rooms or whatever so he took me in showed me how to live off the road you know and i wasn't used to you know down south i'd have my old car i would drive from town to town myself uh make a long story short barry welcomed me took me in uh we started traveling together the first like month we were on the same tours together so we we shared rooms we got along great you know it's almost like college having a roommate you know when you're on the road split expenses sharing expenses rent a cars hotel rooms because they can get expensive you know you rent a car for a week or two weeks and you turn it back in and Vince didn't pay for any of that for us we had to pay our own trans we had to pay our own hotels uh, our own meals and stuff so that you know people thinking oh you're making three four thousand five thousand dollars a week half of that's going for hotels transportation gasoline you know you name it you know food so, and then you get taxed on all that, you know, at the end of the year anyway. So Barry took me in a lot. Uh, Conquistadors, Estrada and Rivera took me in. I used to travel with them a lot. Nikolai Volkov, I traveled with him and Boris. Uh, they were the Bolsheviks. Uh, you know, Hercules Hernandez, uh, Dino Bravo, traveled with Greg Valentine. Funny story, I was traveling with Greg, and that's how I met my wife. We were wrestling at a show in uh, – Staten Island, New York, Wagner College for the WWF. And uh, me and Greg were riding together from town to town. And uh, my wife's aunt was with the Athletic Commission, New York State Athletic Commission. So we all went out to dinner after the matches in Staten Island. And uh, she was there. 
and uh, I sat right across from her at dinner, and we talked, and my birthday was the next night, and uh, before the end of the night, Sunny Beach was working his magic and got her number, and uh, the next week, I was wrestling at Madison Square Garden with Vince, and uh, told her, come see me at the garden, maybe we'll go out to dinner afterwards or whatever before, and uh, she came, and I don't know what happened, I lost her number or something, but she came, and uh, I didn't call her, so she was really upset. And uh, I got to see her after the matches. All the boys go to uh, used to go to this uh, Ramada Inn hotel after the matches, you know, and hang out and have a few drinks and stuff and get something to eat over there. And uh, I actually went over there, and she was over there with a couple of her friends. And uh, finally, I said, sorry, I lost your number. And she was a little upset at me, but after a few drinks, uh, I had the magic working again and got her number and never lost the number again. So, uh, you know, it was funny because I was traveling with, after the matches at next week at Madison Square Garden. I was riding with uh, Haku and Dino Bravo and uh, Cowboy Rob Bass. And uh, we all went out afterwards for dinner and everything. And uh, we had a good time. So uh, never lost her number after that. She flew back and forth from Florida. I flew up to New York to see her, you know, on my off days or if I was in town, I'd spend the weekend with her, you know, and uh, one thing that I do another and a year later we were married. It's a nice story. Huh? Very nice. Very nice story. And, uh, you know, we have a son together. I have four grandchildren now and uh, we've been married. Uh, tomorrow will be our 31st anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you so much. No problem, man. No pro- How did it feel when a guy as well-regarded in pro wrestling as Dr. Def Steve Williams said you were yeah. one of the most talented guys on the card? I was doing my research yesterday, Rick. Wow. That's a, that was an ultimate compliment. When, uh, Steve Williams, an All-American out of Oklahoma, you know, amateur wrestler. And I used to wrestle amateur a lot down in Florida. And I, I won, uh, I got second place in the Orlando Open. I qualified for the uh, – the nationals back in 1985 before I, you know, went into pro wrestling or when I was just starting in pro wrestling. So I didn't want to lose my amateur status. And, uh, and I got the, you know, started a break. Uh, when I was growing up in Jacksonville, Florida, I'll tell you a, a quick story. Don Curtis was a wrestling promoter out of Jacksonville, well-regarded wrestler, journeyman wrestler. Uh, he was WWF tag team champion with Mark Lewin. And he wrestled all over the world. Uh, Don Curtis, well, well, well respected in our business. And uh, I went to high school with his daughter, Lisa Curtis. And uh, I always told Don whenever I'd see him, and he did a lot of stuff for the charities around Jacksonville, and he helped uh, coach uh, Bishop Kenny High School, a Catholic high school down in Jacksonville. He would uh, help referee a lot of the matches, and he always gave back to the community. So Don was like the promoter that was working for Eddie Graham, and he had the Jacksonville territory where he would you know promote the Jacksonville Coliseum in North Florida, Northeast Florida, and. Uh, I told him I always wanted to be a pro wrestler. And he goes, oh, I'll get an education, you know, go to college. If you don't you know, like it, then I'll try to help you, you know, get into the wrestling business. So he gave me some contacts down at Championship Wrestling for Florida. Danny Miller was down there, Chet Tharp, uh, Hiro Matsuda, all those guys were, you know, down there. And he put me in touch with him. And that's how I first started doing TV down there. So that was a really cool thing. But uh, amateur wrestling, I, I loved it. It was, you know, one-on-one. What you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. Steve Williams, we used to wrestle a little bit, you know, uh, just messing around before the matches. Uh, you know, amateur, get warmed up and stuff, doing some sit-out switches. Uh, he, he was just a great guy when I was in Japan with him, Terry Gordy. 
Stan Hansen. Uh, you know, I, I would hang out with them, Johnny Ace. Uh, uh, Steve was just a, a mentor too, you know, and he would wrestle, you know, pretty much in Japan. It was a, a no nonsense. You know, you're going full speed over there. It wasn't like the States, you know, you're laying the punches in, you're laying the kicks in, you're, you're you know, doing a lot more amateur moves because they appreciate that more in Japan than they do over here. In Japan, I was a bigger star than anywhere in the, the States because they would put me over there. They liked me. They liked Johnny Ace. We were a good tag team. They let me work singles over there. I, I won a lot of my matches in Japan, which was good. Uh, the last match I uh, wrestling in Japan, I put over uh, Dynamite Kid with his retirement pat match over there. So that was always a, a good thing, you know. That was Dynamite's, I guess, last match or you know, TV match that they did over in Japan. So that was always a, a, a good uh, historical match in the, the record books, I guess, or, or in my career. You know, putting Dynamite Kid over in his retirement match, but. Uh, Steve Williams, he was a great guy. Um, for him to put me over like that, I mean, that means the world to me. Um, you know, he, he said I was one of the most talented guys on the card, you know, and I was like, wow, you know, coming from him, you know, a world champion, you know, an amateur champion, that, that really means a lot. Right, in 1992, Rick, you returned to WWF. Yeah. How was your return, and who did you do battle with when you returned to WWF? You know, I, I wrestled a lot of different guys. I think Piper, uh, Rugged Ronnie Garvin. Uh, I wrestled a lot with uh, who did I wrestle a lot with? Well, I think SD Jones. Well, that might have been my first one where I was wrestling with SD. I, I wrestled anybody and anybody who they put me in with. Um, still, you know, enhanced my talent. They didn't really, you know, I, I won a couple of matches here and there, but uh, you know, I didn't really get a big push. You know, it was more, you know, of the the, the older guys. You know the uh, Ultimate Warrior, I think, was champion. Macho Man was champion at the time. You know, uh, uh, I think Hogan was still doing some more movies, Suburban Commando, or some other stuff. I'm not sure what he was doing, but I don't think he was champion at the time. If I, uh, my mind sets me right, or he just was coming back to take over the championship belt. But uh, got to go all over the world with him. You know, I got to come to England. Uh, got to wrestle in the London Arena. Got to wrestle some English boys over there. Rollerball Roca, uh, Tony St. Clair, uh, Fit Finley was there. Uh, great, great time in England. Uh, I, I didn't get to, you know, do a lot of sightseeing when I was there, which I would have liked to do. And I still got to come back and do a little more sightseeing and go to some of the pubs. We went to a couple of pubs and had, had some good food. And uh, we went to the Manchester Arena, worked over there. Uh, me and Nikolai Volkov, I think, tag teamed uh, both times. We were in the tag matches, or three—I uh, don't know if it was a three-man or—I know me and Nikolai tagged together over there because I don't think Boris was on that tour. But uh, had some great matches and uh, enjoyed the country. I'd love to come back, and uh, you know, I got to wrestle in about thirty different countries uh, throughout my wrestling career. And you know, some guys don't even get to leave the state. You know, so I, I feel very honored and privileged that I had a 15 year wrestling career where I got to see the world and meet a lot of great people. You made your way to Europe, most notably Germany and worked a program with Diamond Dallas Page, as we know, DDP. How, how yes. was that experience with Diamond Dallas Page? Love, love me some Diamond Dallas Page. Well, Diamond Dallas Page was just getting into the wrestling end of the business. He was managing for a lot of years and commentating and doing all that with AWA and IWA. And uh, we went over there with uh, Rob Russon, 
um, and, and we had a, a great time and um, got to wrestle in Germany, Poland, uh, Austria, and DDP was a great opponent. I wrestled with DDP a little bit when John Rizzi put on a, a tour of the Southeast Asia. He went to the Philippines. Jake Roberts was on that card, DDP, myself, the Power Twins, Cheetah Kid. Uh, I guess it was Public Enemy back then. They were together. Uh, had great matches with him, Cactus Jack. Uh, just uh, DDP was great to work with and uh, always wanting to learn more stuff. I mean, we had very, very good matches, me and him. And uh, uh, I consider Dallas a good friend, too. He just sent me uh, a couple of years ago his DDP yoga uh, program, a couple of DVDs and stuff. And he's helped a lot of boys get back into shape. Uh, uh, I helped uh, Jake and Scott Hall uh, kick their addictions and get them a little bit healthier than what they were, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, he's helping out all kinds of guys. A lot of boys go to him, and uh, he's got a a good thing going right now with the DDP yoga. I, I need to get I need to get into that. I've said for years. <laughs> I even <laughs> I even said to him when I met him in um, it would have been in San Jose WrestleCon when we were in WrestleMania. I said to him five years ago I was going to get it, and I still haven't got it. <laughs> well, next time you see him, uh, you know, just tell him, you know, hey, I want to, you know, do this or. Uh, or, or even just you know contact him on, on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you can contact him his email or his website. Uh, I know he'll get back to you. He's great. I I I oh, just I loved his um, I loved his feud with Macho Man back in '97. That was cool. Yeah, he he he's definitely come full circle in the wrestling business from driving. Uh, I think he was driving uh, Honky Tonk Man out at one of the WrestleManias yeah. and doing uh, a lot of that stuff to becoming, you know, world champion. And, uh, you know, he worked really hard. I mean, Dallas is so dedicated, same with his yoga and his business ethic and his work, work ethic. I've, I've seen nothing that uh, no guy in the business has worked harder than Dallas to get where he's at. And I'll put him over because I've seen how hard he wanted it, how he was training. He was always, you know, looking to, to do bigger and better things. Um, Back then, he was taking the metrics drinks. The health and nutrition was a big part of it for him, as well as putting the time into the ring, putting the time into the gym. Uh, he really impressed me with his work ethic, and uh, he still does. You've spoken about your security firm after wrestling. So, yeah, that, that was going to be my next one. What did you do post-wrestling retirement? Post-wrestling, I, I bounced around to a couple of jobs before I found out what I really wanted to do back before I was wrestling, I was bouncing at the nightclubs in Jacksonville, Florida. I was bouncing at a place called Playground South. It was a rock and roll nightclub where all the big rock bands would come to Jacksonville, but they weren't working at a big venue like the Coliseum. They would play this like 2000 seat Playground South that, that I had worked at. I was in charge of security down there for a couple of years and uh, got to see all the big name bands come through there on their way up and even on their way down. Um, so I started out down there bouncing. And then uh, when I got out of wrestling, I still bounced a little bit, did bodyguard work up here in New York. I tried to do a little bit of acting and commercials and stuff up here. I had a couple of little things I did. Uh, then I started uh, doing collections for a auto parts supply company called DNK. I left there and I started selling telecommunications, a place called Telligent. And I was still bouncing on the weekends at different clubs, running security at big clubs in the city. And uh, 
when I was working at this company, Intelligent, I was doing great. I was a senior account manager, tel- selling telecommunications, uh, DSL, uh, different types of local long-distance technologies, point-to-point communications, stuff like that, wireless communications. So I was making six figures a year doing that, but I was getting bored with that, and I worked for them for about three years. It's doing great. When I was about 19... 19- 99, I was still wrestling, working intelligent. I uh, decided I wanted to start my own security guard company. So I did that. And in New York, you got to be licensed with the state of New York. And uh, I licensed my company as Forte Security back in 1999. Uh, after about three years of doing the telecom and the security, uh, I was making about the same money with the security company and with the intelligent. And uh, right after 9 11, our intelligent company went bankrupt and they went out of business. So after nine 11, I had to, you know, I just went full force with the security and uh, just built it up, built it up. I was doing all the big nightclubs in New York city, uh, Copacabana nightclub, which is world famous. I had a big account there. I did a place called marquee nightclub, which was really big with a strategic group and a Tau group. Uh, any major nightclub in the city, um, I was I was involved with uh, supplying security guards. I was doing a lot of special events, concert security. Uh, I was living in Brooklyn at the time. We moved out to Long Island and uh, we just started taking over Long Island. Right now, the last four years in a row, uh, in 2016, I rebranded my company and renamed it American Protection Bureau. After Forte, after all these years, you know, you get a lot of lawsuits and loss runs. So my insurance broker said, hey, you should really start over and uh, rebrand your company to something you like. And I did uh, came up with American Protection Bureau. So we're licensed right now in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Florida uh, as a licensed, insured, and bonded security guard company. Uh, right now, I had over 800 employees before this uh, virus on my state roster here in New York, and uh, we were doing uh, probably between 100 to 130 different uh, accounts on uh, Long Island and uh, New Jersey and New York City. So uh, with this virus now, it really hit my business hard. We probably lost probably 90% of our business. So right now I'm just trying to tread water and pay bills and get through this, uh, you know, coronavirus, COVID-19. And I have some accounts coming in, but it's not like, uh, you know, three months ago. I can only only imagine. It just goes to show you just to say, like, you know, there is life after wrestling, though, as well, isn't there? You know, a lot of you guys that go in to do something else up off the back of wrestling. I knew that, you know, wrestling wasn't going to pay the bills forever. And, you know, after the last, you know, probably... From 95, 96, after Herb passed away and, you know, the independent stuff was kind of drying up and, you know, uh, I knew I had to feed my family and I knew I had to do something quick, you know, to uh, pay the bills. So I started doing the bodyguard work where I was making decent money. I worked with some big name people in the business, entertainment business. I was doing movie sets where I would take – you know, celebrities on and off set. I'd take them back to their hotels. And I was making really decent money at that, you know, and it was just me and I didn't have any overhead. When I put into it, I got out of it, you know. And then once I started my company, I had to get liability insurance, workman's comp insurance, disability insurance. I had to get an office. I was working out of the basement of my house for 
probably the first 10 years I had my company that I got too big where I had to, you know, start hiring people to work in my office and office manager. I had to hire sales force, uh, supervisors, uh, a dispatcher, you know, 24 hour radio dispatch, uh, I bought a couple company vehicles and, you know, wrapped them up with the name of the company on it. So, you know, a lot of overhead and owning your own business and, you know, and, you know, in the nightclub business, people get in fights at these bars and nightclubs and they want to sue the bouncers. They want to sue the security company. They want to sue the venue. So all that stuff, you know, took its toll on me in the early, you know, 2000s. And then that's why I had to rebrand my name to American protection, but I'm very proud of American protection. The last four years in a row from 2017, 18, 19 to 2020, we won uh, an award out here in Long Island, the best security guard company on Long Island four years in a row now. So we must be doing something right if our, our people vote for us and, you know, our communities vote the best security companies and best restaurants, best businesses on Long Island. There's a company called Betpage, uh, state bank and they do this bed page bank uh, best of long island it's called and everybody gets into it and they vote for it and they write in or, or go online and vote and uh you know there's over uh, they said 1.5 million people voted last year so we won four years in a row so i'm very proud and very happy of uh american protection bureau and where we're at and uh going forward in the future that's cool man getting those awards as well that's high high praise that is you know, from starting with, 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 you know, one account at a bar that I was doing by myself until building it up to over 130, 140 accounts, you know, it's, uh, it's a good thing, you know, and, and an accomplishment. What you put into anything in life is what you're going to get out of it. And uh, I got the, the, the best thing about my company is the people that work for me. You know, without the good people working for you, you wouldn't have a good business. I'm going to close out now, Rick. Uh, do you watch any of the modern pro wrestling do you, get ta- do you get a chance to watch anything? Once in a while, I watch, you know, AEW because some of our friends are on there. And uh, WWF, I still watch once in a while. Most of the guys I wrestle with, you know, are, are, are retired or getting ready to retire. I think Undertaker's probably the last of the Mohicans, you know, that uh, was in the business that long uh, that, that still would vent. Uh, Triple H, he was just getting there when I was leaving. Uh, Sean Michaels, you know, he still does some cameo appearances once in a while. So most of the guys from Vince, you know, are, are all a new blood, you know, that are, are new in the business. Uh, Kurt Angle, he wasn't wrestling at a time when I was at Vince or, or, or you know, and some of these other promotions. Uh, very proud of Kurt Angle transitioning from, you know, amateur, you know, Olympic gold medalist into the pro wrestling world. He's had a great career. Uh He's overcome a lot of injuries and stuff, so uh, I take my hat off to him. I thought he did a great job representing the wrestling business, being world champion and uh, Olympic gold medalist. Uh, just a lot of, you know, uh, I'm looking forward to see where the wrestling business goes after, you know, this. Uh, you know, with, with them doing, you know, in-studio matches without an audience and stuff now with this coronavirus. Uh that was very entertaining. It kept the people entertained while, uh, you know, they're at home, stuck at home, so to speak. But I think once people are allowed to get back out in some of these arenas and venues and stuff, I hope they support the wrestling business, support their local businesses, their restaurants, their bars, you know, the play, people that have been hit hardest uh, with this epidemic. And uh, hopefully, you know, the world can get straightened out. And we can all live in harmony and peace as one, you know. So I I watched um I watched Money in the Bank which was on last night and obviously 
the Money in the Bank match was pre-recorded a few few right. weeks ago. So yeah, it's just been shot totally different. There was no commentary until uh, somebody won. <laughs> it was uh, it's quite they're just adapting, aren't they? Because I've got the audience to try different things. Well, they're being innovative right now. They're just trying to see what works. You know, they're just throwing stuff out there and trying to entertain the people at home. And I get it, you know. I mean, it's hard to work, you know, in, in a ring, you know. Cherry Lawler and Terry Funk did it years ago. Um, you know, down in Florida, they did it a couple of times. Um, so, you know, it, it's been done before. And I think, you know, trying to entertain the people at, at, at this time of need, you know, when, when we need something, we need like a hero. We need uh, somebody to step up right now. The doctors and nurses and all these hospitals are, are, are the heroes, you know, and they're, they're saving lives, lives every day. They're sacrificing, they're working long hours. Uh, they're putting their own lives at risk to be around these people that are infected with this virus. So I take my hats off to all the medical professionals out there. Uh, they're doing a great job and hopefully, you know, sooner than later they find a cure for this disease and we could all move on as, you know, as a world, you know, as a whole. Rick, could you please plug your social media for the listeners and the viewers? Well, I really don't have too much social media. I'm Rick Allen on Facebook and, uh, I'm on, uh, my website for my security company is apbguards.com. It's apbguards.com American protection bureau. Um, usually if people reach out, they can reach me at either one of those places. Um, uh, my email is UWF sports at AOL.com. That's like universal wrestling federation sports at AOL.com. Those are about the only places that people can reach me right now. And I usually get back to people. It might take a little while depending on the volume of people trying to contact me. But after dark side of the ring came out, um, been doing like i said a lot of webcasts a lot of podcasts a lot of interviews like this one and i, I appreciate it i enjoy it and, you know i'm not really doing a lot i'm at home a lot more now because of the security business being slow so i can i have time to you know interact with the fans and uh, some of the people i can't accept everybody's fan request and everything or facebook request but i try to get back to somebody if they have a question or stuff like that or if they want me to mail them out a picture or something i try to do that not a children handicapped children you know try to give back to the community or special events and stuff uh, i try to get involved with so somebody has something you know or if they want me to do a personal appearance they can contact me through that uh, i've been doing a lot of work with thinking uh, nick christie uh, doing some signings with him um, tommy fierro with retro championship wrestling i've been working with him a little bit so you can contact those two people too and uh they, they'll, they'll put you in contact with me Cool, cool. Rick Allen, a.k.a. Sunny Beach, thank you for coming on for episode 31 of Stu's Dewey. Wrestling Podcast. Dewey, it was a great pleasure. Keep doing what you're doing, the wrestling fans. I'm sure they appreciate all you're doing. and You're doing a great job. Barry Horowitz spoke highly of you. So I'll give you a pat on the back like Barry did. You did a <laughs> thank great you. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Oh, Rick, thank you. Honestly, thank you for sparing. If you ever time. get to New York, uh, we, we definitely got to get together. I'd love to meet you in person. We, I, I've been. I tell you what, Rick, I've been over. I was, I went over as a kid with uh, college. I was only, I was only about sixteen, seventeen at the time, and then uh, we came over for WrestleMania twenty nine when it was at the MetLife. Right. Uh, so yeah, I've had a couple of visits to New York and, and New Jersey. 
Well, when you come, we'll, we'll take you out. We'll get you a couple of cold beers, and we'll, we'll show you uh, how we party in New York. A big thank you to Stephen Ash and Ed Dowling for producing the track. It's Stu's Wrestling Podcast, The Theme. So thank you very much for that, lads. Much appreciated. Love it. It fits really well, so cheers. Thanks to you. Big thank you to Mike Angus for the show intro, as always. Superb, superb. Chris Dutton, thank you very much for editing once again. Appreciate it, buddy. And also to Lee, who does my website. Lee puts the stuff up on the website. Without you guys, I'd be screwed. So once again, as always, appreciate everything you do for me and the time you spend doing the things you do for me. It means a lot, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network.